2: The Los Angeles Citycast is presented by Bet Rivers. Get paid faster with Bet Rivers Rush Pay. Daily boosts, special offers, great customer service, plus a $250 first-time sign-up bonus. Make Bet Rivers your hometown sportsbook. Download the Bet Rivers app or visit betrivers.com for details.
1: This is the Los Angeles Citycast with Danielle Alvari, presented by Bet Rivers.
2: Welcome in to your Wednesday edition of the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bett River Sportsbook. I'm your host, Danielle Alvari. Very excited to be back here. Lots of Freddie Freeman fodder out there right now. Try to say that five times fast. At least in regards to him possibly heading to the Dodgers. Wouldn't that be something? There are only three members from the Dodgers 2017 World Series roster currently on the team. In case you forgot, anybody? I'm going to give you a moment to guess in case you're a Dodgers fan. Do, 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 do. It's Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, and Austin Barnes, if that's what you guess, You guess correctly. You know, of course, too, that the Dodgers did lose out on Corey Seager, headed to the Rangers, and the Mets also signed Max Scherzer. So, and there, I finally say it right, just when he leaves. So, changes are happening. We knew that would happen with the Dodgers. Stay tuned. More on that as it develops. In today's show, first we'll talk Jaguars at the Rams and Chargers at Bengals. Then we will welcome in our guest today, David Woods. He's a writer for Bruin Report Online. He's also co-host of the BroCast, that's from Bruin Report Online as well, and the podcast of Champions, which is a play of course on the Pac-12, so a little Pac-12 action. We'll talk UCLA football. UCLA men's basketball, the works. Plus, I want to get his reaction on USC's Lincoln Riley hiring. Of course, the juicy news of the week. But first things first. We always check out the Los Angeles lines available at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. We love Bet Rivers here on this pod. For the NFL, Jaguars at the Rams. Rams a 12 and a half point favorite now, down slightly from 13 on Sunday. Total 47 and a half. Again, just a half a point down from Sunday. It was 48 then, so a little bit of movement. As for the Chargers, Chargers at the Bengals this week. Bengals a three-and-a-half-point favorite, total sitting at 50-and-a-half. I believe this line was two-and-a-half on Sunday, so quite a shift there. People are back in the Bengals. You can find these odds at Rivers Sportsbook and so much more. Let's talk about the Rams first. Yeesh, you know, I didn't want to talk about either of these teams on Monday based on how Sunday went, but nevertheless, we persisted. So... Now at least the Rams have a little bit softer matchup on their schedule here as 12.5-point favorites here hosting the Jags. Again, total sitting at 47.5. This one is going to kick off at 1.05 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday, December 5th. Man, can you believe it's December already? That is nuts. These seasons always fly by so fast. First things first, Rams offense. Upon further review, not that I needed to review this, Matt Stafford. Still turning the ball over. This just in, except for it's not. It's old news. He's had nine interceptions this season, but five were in the last three games. That needs to correct itself. And I don't know really what to say because it seems like he's had enough time in the pocket to not be doing this. But I also think that he loves to, and we love it too, we love to see it. Is loves to air the ball out, but maybe doesn't take those checkdowns as often, doesn't take those... Safer kind of shorter plays when maybe it would be a good idea to. I also wonder if we're starting to see a little bit more of a struggle from the loss of Robert Woods, which if you guys remember, we did a special Saturday pod last week. I was on with the Denver CityCast host, Holden Kushner, and he asked me how big of a effect this was going to have on this Rams team. And I kind of underplayed it. I was like, oh, Cooper Cup, you know, Van Jefferson. Uh, they just added OBJ. They're going to be fine, but I I did also say you can't just replace Robert Woods, of course. But I did underestimate, I think, the impact this is going to have. And maybe it's Robert Woods, but maybe it's also for Sean McVay, who runs this, you know, through through three wide receivers. But he needs to figure out how to get that offense running smoothly again because it looked pitiful versus the Packers, and frankly, in the last three weeks, three losses in a row for this Rams team—that's unacceptable. if uh, we take a look at a little bit more closely at Matt Stafford's passing here. Of his seven third down passes, only one completed. It was a 79-yard touchdown to Van Jefferson on a post route. Uh, The team averaged three yards per carry on 11 attempts. It was led by Daryl Henderson. He handled 80% of the carries, but just 25% of his runs resulted in a first down or a touchdown. So a little bit of trouble there with the run. And, of course, there was that beautiful 58-yard bomb for OBJ. That was nice. Jefferson's deep shot, obviously, that was great to see. That actually made up the bulk of Matt Stafford's passing yards. But that is not the only thing we need him to be able to do, right? All those stats, by the way, from Pro Football Focus. He needs to be able to take those checkdowns and those shorter passes when it makes sense to do so. That's what I'm going to say about that. As for the defense, I think that once this offense starts to settle back in and figures out what it's going to look like without Woods in that mix and with OBJ added, now that is something to consider. Like I said, lots of moving pieces here for Sean McVay. And also seems like the play calling has been off a little bit for him, maybe a little bit less – I'm going to use the word fancy. And perhaps as he settles into what his new situation is with you know, Woods out and OBJ in – Things will settle in. We'll start giving some of the magic back, some of the sparkle. And when that happens, I think it's going to open up a little bit more for the Rams defense, who I thought did a great job. Now, they gave a bunch of points to the Packers. They lost, obviously. But I'm wondering how much of that was trickled down from the offense's issues. Aaron Donald, Von Miller, they combined for 11 pressures. And Jalen Ramsey allowed just 48 yards on seven receptions. He's just a superstar stud, of course, as we know. He also had an average depth of target below five yards. So that is some tight coverage for Jalen Ramsey. So I think the defense just needs to keep doing what it's doing. Now, as it pertains to this game coming up here, the Jaguars are four and seven ATS, which sounds pretty bad, right? Pretty paltry. But the Rams are four and eight ATS. Not a whole lot better, right? Not better at all, actually. They both just covered four games this season. That said, very different schedules and very different situations for these teams. When we look at the Rams' defense, as I just said, they give up 5.3 yards per play, which is sixth in the league. On the other hand, Jaguars' offense averaging 5.3, which is 21st. So not exactly a high-scoring team, high-powered offense. We know all of the issues we've seen them have, and even coaching issues as those trickle in. The Rams' D, giving up 7.1 yards per pass attempt – 13th in the NFL. So a little bit more down the middle of the road there. If you're not going up against Jalen Ramsey, that is. So possibility there, but the problem is that the Jaguars offense averages six yards per pass, which is last in the league. Last. Absolute last. So the one area where maybe they could kind of excel, I doubt they will. So for those reasons, under 47 and a half for me is tempting, but not a play yet. Again, this did move down a little bit from 48 and uh, a handicapper that I really like to talk about, talk or talk about, talk with, uh, and also read his takes and things of that nature. Drew Dinsick, who does NBC's The Edge, and he also comes on v very frequently. I believe I saw one of his best bets was for this game to go over. Uh, So that makes me nervous. It's right. You see another handicapper that you're like, wait, what are they, what are they seeing that I don't? Which Drew sees a lot more than I do, Uh, but This to me is screaming under because I think that the Rams defense is going to make it nearly impossible for the Jaguars to score. And the Jags offense are also going to be contributing to making it impossible for them to score. So I think it's going to be a very low scoring game. I know this is a good bounce back spot for the Rams, but the Rams have also been over 12 and a half point favorites twice this season. One of them was against the Lions, and they didn't cover either of those times. So I'm not interested. In laying this many points with the Rams, even though they very well could come out and should come out by the way, and just slam this one down the Jaguars throats and move on because next up they have Monday night football versus the Cardinals. So not to let that stumble them on this game here, but we got to take care of this and move on. Speaking of that chargers chargers at the Bengals. Bengals a three and a half point favorite. I think this is the first time the Chargers haven't been favored in a couple of weeks here. Total sitting at 50 and a half. This one's going to kick off at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, this was two and a half on Sunday, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Now up to three and a half. People are taking the Bengals, and I get why. The Bengals' trajectory seems like it's going upwards, and the Chargers probably the other direction. Uh, yes, I do my own sound effects for the show. So, yeah. The Bengals beat the Steelers 41-10 to in Week 12. They easily covered as three-and-a-half-point home favorites, but on the other side, the Chargers completely just fell apart. They flubbed against the Broncos. They did not cover. They were favorites. They're now 6-5, and five, which is the same record as the Broncos, by the way. So really tight. Getting really cozy up in the AFC West right now. Uh, that said... Chargers offense still doing its thing still firing Justin Herbert 34 of his 44 attempts uh, traveled less than 10 yards downfield though which is a little bit of a departure from maybe what we like to see from Justin Herbert but you got to give him credit he always hits those checkdowns well almost the opposite maybe of what I was saying Matt Stafford could look to do just a little bit more but Herbert definitely clams up a little bit when he goes against these more tough defensive teams but nevertheless passes for 303 yards and loses 28 to 13. How do you pass for over 300 yards and lose 28 to 13? So I think that Justin Herbert is doing his part, it seems like, but you need to get it actually into the you know, end zone for the points to count. It's this whole annoying thing. But, yeah, uh, Keenan Allen was his top target. He grabbed five catches on eight targets for 63 yards, three of which went for first downs. That's what we're talking about. Mike Williams is the only other player with more than two targets. He got five, caught three for 32 yards, and all three were first down. So that part of the offense is working. Let's just say that. It's working. I, I would not say it work. it's working well. On the other hand, the rush, not so much. Austin Eckler finished with 31 yards on 12 carries. So that that is an issue for this offense that obviously you would like to have work a little bit better. This is not a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination, as we've seen over the last couple weeks, but it can't all be on Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler to win this game. And by that, I of course am taking a hit here at the way that the chargers defense has played because it can't just be Justin Herbert out offense, the other team, because he passed for over 300 yards and still they lose, Uh, which is also interesting too, because in that game third downs, I think they went 7-14, so about 50%. They have a 46% third-down conversion rate, which is actually fourth in the league. So expect that to kind of be intact for this Bengals game, hopefully back in in play here. Uh, When we take a look at the Bengals' defense, the Chargers or the Bengals allow 269 passing yards per game, which is 24th in the league. So that's going to open it up, hopefully, for Justin Herbert here. Again, Chargers averaging 294 passing yards per game, so averaging nearly 300 yards per game. But that needs to actually convert to points, as I mentioned, because 300 yards is lovely, but winning, that's kind of the goal here. So Bengals offense, other side of the ball here, fourth-ranked red zone offense. That's what we're talking about. That's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of performance that Chargers are going to need to put up here to stay competitive. Versus the Steelers, Joe Mixon, Bengals running back, Career high, 165 yards on 28 carries with two touchdowns. The Bengals are 16th ranked in rushing offense in the NFL, averaging about 112 yards per per game. That's just middle of the road here, but that is a huge problem for the Chargers who are allowing 147 net rushing yards, uh, or excuse me, allowed 147 net rushing yards versus the Broncos. And we know dead last in the NFL, just not up to par at all. Chargers defense is actually fourth worst in the league, allowing 26.6 points per game. They're allowing 0.42 points per play. So they are going to have trouble with this Bengals team. It leads me to believe that we're going to see an over. That's why we're seeing a total that's relatively high here 50 and a half. I can't bet an over because I don't know if the Chargers are going to be able to score. What did we see versus the Broncos? Now they're not going up the Broncos defense again, but nevertheless. These have to convert to actual points. I said it three times in this segment. That's all I can say here is is the offensive output has to lead to points. And also, you cannot out-offense a team, right? What is the annoying thing everyone says? Defense wins championships. Well, you need a defense, something going on here, not fourth worst in the league. That's a problem. So I don't don't want to touch the total for that reason because it seems like it's primed to be possibly – a slugfest. I mean, we look at the quarterback matchup. That's really exciting, right? Uh, First overall pick here, Joe Burrow in the 2020 draft versus the 2020 rookie of the year, Justin Herbert, who was drafted sixth by the chargers, of course. So this is going to be a fun matchup. Two of the five quarterbacks with the pro football focus grades above 85. And they're so young, same draft class. That's the headline this week, right? That's what we're seeing everywhere. It's going to be exciting to watch. I think it, for that reason could be a gunslinger's battle and uh I don't want to bet on the total where that is possible but you're hoping of course that that the Chargers can score that cuz that's their only hope it seems like at this point is to try to out-offense another team cuz it's not getting done on the defensive side of the ball um and the the Bengals by the way defend well against the run which we saw Eckler have trouble versus the Broncos. And again, it cannot be all in Eckler. They have to get that run game going. And I think it's going to be difficult to do against this Bengals team. It's an area the Chargers have also struggled with. Uh, Last year, if we revisit here, the Chargers beat the Bengals in week one, 16 to 13. The Chargers are two and a half point road favorites, but that was no Justin Herbert. This will be the first matchup between Herbert and Burrow. So who will reign supreme? We'll see. We'll see. I don't have a bet for this match just yet, but we will have Adam Burke on to join the show on Friday to give his thoughts on these games as well. We'll see what his thoughts are, and maybe I'll have something new for you guys by then. But coming up, we'll bring in David Woods from Bruin Report Online and the Podcast of Champions, also known as the Pac-12 Podcast, to talk UCLA football, basketball, and I gotta know what he thinks of this USC hiring Lincoln Riley situation that's next on the Los Angeles city cats presented by bet rivers
0: looking for a hot tip to bet on check out the new match tips at bet Rivers sportsbook the new tips feature gives you special insights on player props and match bets for the top tips of the day go to bet rivers before the game find your match and tap the tips icon to see independent research on recent team and player performance Bet with confidence. Visit the Bet Rivers mobile app or go to betrivers.com and get the top tips of the day. Must be 21 gambling problem call 1 800 Gambler. Playable only in states where Bet Rivers is licensed and in New Jersey at Play Sugar House.
2: The VSIN mid season football special is here. Put the VSIN betting experts to work for you from now through February for only $99. Daily best bet emails, 24-7 video streaming, betting splits for every sport, point spread weekly, plus in-depth data and analysis on VSIN.com. Sign up today at VSIN.com slash subscribe and get everything we have to offer for the rest of the football season for only $99. That's VSIN.com slash subscribe. Welcome back into the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bett Rivers. I'm your host, Danielle Alvari. Very excited to welcome in the next guest here, David Woods, co-host of the BroCast and the Pac-12 podcast, plus a writer for Bruin Report Online. He's everywhere. David, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Danielle. I'm glad to be on.
2: Yeah, you, I mean, you're all over. I didn't know you were on so many podcasts. I didn't realize, but then I'm like, I guess I listened to all these, so.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're just hearing my voice, and you're like, oh, this is normal. And then you're like, wait, this is actually a podcast? It's not just Dave just talking in my car. That's weird.
2: Yeah, usually I talk to you, and you don't talk back, and now we're actually having yeah. a conversation.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> the miracles so of can-
3: modern technology.
2: It's great. I really love it. I love working in my living room. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at David David Woods. So I'm gonna ask you the obvious thing first. What did you think about the Lincoln Riley hire for USC?
3: I think it's uh, it's fine. Nothing to worry about whatsoever. Uh, no, and in reality, I think it's um, uh, about the worst nightmare I think for UCLA fans. Um, and I think it's obviously a great thing for USC. Um, whether or not he works out at the level that he's worked out at Oklahoma in the last five years, um, the way he's going to jumpstart recruiting, I think people are they have a mistaken impression about USC um, that they've been re- they always recruit a certain way, and they do to an extent. Like they're always going to be a top ten recruiting power, but with a guy like Riley there, with what he can sell and his energy that he brings to the recruiting trail. It's going to be top five classes over and over and over again, and that's going to look like Pete Carroll-level talent, um, and he might very well be that level of coach. So I think it's uh, uh, potentially the worst nightmare for a lot of Pac-12 schools, um, and now the the race is going to be on to see uh, if any other schools can match what USC just did.
2: I know what I'm thinking is who's the only school really, maybe Oregon who can keep up with this. But as we know, uh, Chip, not Chip Kelly's favorite thing to do recruiting. So UCLA fans are definitely in trouble. And when I was thinking about this, and I obviously keep up with your Twitter because you are one of my favorite Twitter followers. He's very entertaining. Go on there. Uh, maybe that's just because I love sarcasm so much. <laughs> but on there, yeah, you kind of mentioned, I think it was you mentioned, or at least UCLA fans in general are thinking, what do you do now if you keep Chip Kelly? He did kind of finish with a better record than he's had in the last couple of years, which which I guess is something, but again, not having any of those wins over the 500 teams is tough to ignore. The defense is tough to ignore. And so people are saying, maybe you go out and you get like some big defensive coordinator, but does that solve all of UCLA's problems? Because it doesn't solve the recruiting problem to me.
3: No, I think the reality is I don't think it gets solved with Chip Kelly there. Um, Now, fundamentally, I don't think UCLA is going to make a switch at head coach this Mm offseason. I think Chip Kelly is going to be there for another year. Um, At least Um, next year's the soft schedule sets up such that UCLA would be hard pressed not to win eight or nine games. Um, But with, with chip, I think the only, the only Avenue um, for uh, UCLA to have a fighting chance against a um, fully, you know, a fully operational USC death star uh, is to hire a big time defensive coordinator um, Mm -hmm. and revamp that entire defensive staff, but probably just take a look at every single member of the staff because As all UCLA fans learned during the Carl Durrell Durrell era, um, when you're faced against the fully operational USC Death Star, you can't just concede. You can't just concede on the recruiting trail. Um, You can't just say, okay, USC gets all the top-shelf LA, Southern California talent. You have to actually compete. Uh, It took Durrell way too long to learn that against Pete Carroll. It can't take UCLA that long. Even with the transfer portal, you have to nail high school recruiting and – if they allow USC to just get their pick of the litter, it's going to be really, really tough to to get the uh, proper share of Southern California talent.
2: Well, the other thing going on that we're seeing too right now is a lot of UCLA football uh, current players entering the transfer portal. I also like to see a former UCLA tight end, Caleb Wilson, chiming in on Twitter as well, letting them know. I don't think you guys realize there's not as many scholarships as you think, and he obviously transferred from USC to UCLA. We were really grateful he did that, glad he landed there. But it's tough to enter that transfer portal, and is it indicative of anything going on in the program that so many players are doing that, or is this just par for the course? This is what some of the players are going to do.
3: I think it's par for the course to an extent. Um, I think there have been a couple of interesting names. DJ Warnell is one. uh, Luke Akers is obviously another, because these guys Mm -hmm. were in line to play um, significantly. Now, obviously, there's always going to be the level of, like, you know, guys who are not even cracking the three deep who want to leave. But when you're losing guys like that, especially with how much effort and time um, this staff puts into evaluating for character and um, fit and all these other soft factors that are supposed to slow the churn, you know, slow down um, the attrition level every offseason. To see a bunch of guys going in the transfer portal on the first couple of days is a worry. Um, And what it does mean um, on the positive angle is that UCLA can hit the transfer market itself harder. Um, And they've been pretty successful doing so. Um, So this frees up a few more scholarships to do that. Um, But you don't like to see that level of churn in a program that is so – Um, predicated on development. It's so predicated on guys staying in the program for two, three, four years and developing as players. Um, When you see guys leaving after just a year or two or three, um, that's, that's not what this program is built on.
2: Yeah, especially because we've been kind of building up to this over Chip Kelly's four years, and a lot of people are let down. And I was talking to Mike Regalato about this, who's also from Bruin Report Online, and talking about how about it seems like I was being generous, 50-50. Some fans are like, hey, stick in there. We're better than we used to be. And some are very, very upset and want Chip Kelly to leave. And they're being very harsh about it, and they're letting it known. And there's lots of little sniping going on on Twitter. Yes. So where are you at with UCLA football right now?
3: I'm, uh, I mean, I've been um, pretty down on Chip Kelly for a while now. Um, I was probably one of the leaders on the uh, on, the maybe, on the make assault. A yeah, maybe make a change uh, bandwagon. <laughs> I, I haven't softened exactly. I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves, and the, the reality of the situation is I don't think UCLA is going to make a change. That could change. I mean, that could it could still happen. But and some right of now,
2: that's fiscal. Yeah.
3: Yeah, right now it just seems unlikely, um, and especially yeah. given the way the coaching market has um, taken shape where so many guys are signing extensions and you also have these big names moving, but is UCLA going to be a really attractive spot this cycle? When you just saw USC land Lincoln Riley, it takes a particular mindset to then want to line up cross town. Um, and so there's going to be, I think a lot of soft factors that might give any you know, feeling at UCLA pause as far as, uh, firing, uh, chip Kelly. Um, That all being said, I I don't think there's, like, a really good long-term solution with the current staff in place. Um, I think Chip Kelly has had his four years to really revamp the thing, and then the end result was going 8-4 and against what I believe is literally the worst Pac-12 in 20 years, maybe longer. Um, It
2: was chaos. It was just... Team-eating team.
3: Really bad. Um, Like, the best teams were mediocre by, um, you know, SEC, Big Ten, ACC standards. So, uh, that becomes, um, you know, that that data point is that uh, in their culmination year, they were, you know, fine against a uh, mediocre Pac-12. So, end result, I, I think he should be gone like all things being equal and all other factors being equal um he probably should be fired but the reality is they might not be able to
2: yeah absolutely they don't have the resources that I'll just say private schools have like USC the stuff they gave Lincoln Riley was comical to me hilarious the private jet was just the kicker for me come well, on <laughs> the,
3: the the 10 plus million dollars a year was the part that I think I uh, should stick in the minds of UCLA fans because yeah. Uh, there's there's going to be Regent trouble with uh, matching even close to that at this point. I think Chip is making somewhere in the order of four or five million right now. Uh, they can go up a little from that, but going all the way up to ten, that's the kind of leap you can't take um, with mm-hmm. the way these salaries are structured currently in the UC system.
2: Yeah, it's crazy to me that even head coaches of college are making that amount of money per year, but here we are. They're gym um, teachers. And since
3: you... we're, we're paying gym teachers that much money. It's insane. Insane. I know I'm thinking about
2: all of the people all of the incredible medical programs we have at UCLA <laughs> and how many like we're over here trying to cure cancer and um, not you know nothing against keck medicine but yeah like this UCLA school and and I'm imagine being like a professor or a doctor at UCLA and being like they're paying him what
3: yeah no, uh, but, with a whistle Yeah, it's great
2: yeah but he's so good. We'll see. Uh, since you mentioned the Pac-12, and I know I've listened on the Pac-12 podcast, you guys do talk about where your bet would be. So did you get to kind of dabble in that this season? And if so, how did you do? Because the Pac-12 was difficult, to the say Pac- the least.
3: Yeah, the Pac-12 was very bad. Um I was. I was kind of betting along with uh, my picks on the Podcast of Champions mm-hmm. uh, every week. Um, and it's... I ended just north of 500. Um, nice. That
2: makes money. Yeah. Well, it
3: was, well <laughs> it was a game up on 500, so I don't think I was covering the VIG, but... Uh,
2: oh, jeez. Yeah. So I,
3: I I rallied at one point. I was down. I was like four games under 500 um, heading into <laughs> the end of the season. It was really hard. Um, the league this I week, mean, that's incredible,
2: very, really, given... Yeah. Given how things went. And the pac 12 we talk about all the time. There's no home field advantage in this in this conference.
3: No, it's a it's a very stupid league. It's a very stupid <laughs> league. Um you know there's there's probably smarter bets to be made, but it's a fun league to bet because it makes it very interesting. Um And, and you have tumultuous. to be paying attention. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
2: You have to be a Pac 12 fan to be paying attention. And did Oregon State bust any of yours? Because Oregon State was just mythical to me this year
3: yeah i was riding oregon state for a while because they were like a cover machine early on yeah uh, but then they started to fall apart um from what they were what they were doing early in the year um i generally picked them okay actually ucla was screwing me um towards the end of the year especially because of um just i was not anticipating them really surging over the last 10 quarters um so i picked Mm -hmm. the usc game correctly but cal and colorado i just didn't have a feel for at all
2: Yeah, no, when I had uh, Tookney win from the LA Times on, we talked about the UCLA-USC game and we said, two kind of bad teams, this is gonna be an over, right? And it hit luckily, that was the only thing we could come up with. We're like, this is just gonna be a points fest, and it was. Yeah, exactly. So uh, speaking of ugly games, I'm gonna switch gears here to basketball real quick. So UCLA-Gonzaga, this one broke my heart, but I was not completely shocked because I do think Gonzaga's kind of in a league of their own at this moment. What did you think of this UCLA-Gonzaga game last week?
3: Uh, it was very tough. Um, I, I, I can't say I didn't expect it. Um, mm-hmm. Leading up to the game, after watching them uh, against Bellarmine, uh, but even the previous week against Long Beach State, uh, they were not th- – this isn't yet at the level of that Final Four team for UCLA. Um, and Gonzaga, with, uh, with what they can do with Chet Holmgren, Holmgren along with uh, Drew Timmy, it's just very, very hard to deal with that team, especially with the limitations on UCLA's front line without Cody Riley. And then you Mm. add to that that they're not yet at the point where they can play with that level of um, whatever you want to call it, mental toughness, um, intensity, whatever it is. They're not yet at that level here in whatever end of November. It was Mm. going to look a little bit um, ugly. Now, I don't think um, come March it's going to look that same way. Mick Cronin has been able to turn these teams into monsters basically at the end of each season. Um, Obviously, in 2020, we weren't able to see it in the NCAA tournament because of COVID, uh, but they were turning into that at the end of that conference season. Um, And obviously, this last year, they made a run for the Final Four after not looking at all like a Final Four team for much of the year. This year, I would expect something similar. And the good news, I think, for UCLA fans is that they're starting at a higher level. Um, I think they're starting with a higher baseline um, given what they've done so far this season. Um, So it's just a matter of, okay, finding that bond, finding that continuity, finding that chemistry, finding that intensity again. um, And from what we've seen from Cronin's teams, they're going to find it.
2: Yeah. And speaking of additions from Rutgers, obviously they had Miles Johnson come in, uh, which I think he's had to step up a little bit more than planned because Cody Riley being out. How do you think he's looked and how big is it going to be also for them to get Cody Riley back in the mix here?
3: Well, I think what's obvious is that um, Miles Johnson would have been ideal for about a 15-minute-a-game guy, and he's having to play a lot more than maybe he mm-hmm. even anticipated. I would say conditioning-wise, he's, he's got a lot of work to do. Um, yeah. Because he's not able to keep up at the level of intensity that Cronin demands, especially defensively. Once he gets fatigued, he starts to kind of flail around a little bit more. Um, uh, I would say there's some positives with him, but also some some questionable things. I would say his hands have been kind of a question mark so far this year. Um, he's been an effective rebounder at times, especially on the offensive glass. And obviously he provides a a rim protecting presence that UCLA didn't have last year when Jalen Hill went out. Um, but getting Cody Riley back is huge because Cody Riley allows them, um, even though he's not like a defensive maestro by any means, he allows them to switch fully on the perimeter, which is something that Miles Johnson really can't do at this point, given his conditioning and just how he moves his feet he's not he's just not that quick um Cody Riley has done a ton of work over the last few years to really improve his quickness so they should get him back within the next couple of weeks that's going to be essential going into conference play um I think UCLA can make it work they can mix and match I think Jalen Clark has played some really effective minutes as a small ball five I would actually like to see them do that even more because uh, Miles Johnson I think he has really really diminished um efficiency if he plays longer than 15 or 20 minutes
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you on that front. And it was tough when Cody got injured. I was at that game and he yelped in pain. So I was like, oh man, that's tough to hear. But luckily just a sprain on the knee. Hopefully we get him back soon. Um, But as you mentioned, opening up Pac-12 play, USC and UCLA actually on Wednesday night. UCLA has Colorado at home. I will be at this game. Where do you kind of put UCLA at this point now? Obviously some people said they were a little overrated when they were at number two. They've fallen since. And so where do you kind of see them at uh, heading into Pac-12 play?
3: I think it's, uh, it's one of three teams that's going to win the league right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think Arizona has turned out a lot better than most people thought, um, just the way Tommy Lloyd has already integrated everyone on that team. They look really, really good. And USC, um, they don't look like they've lost much of a step at all from last year. If anything, yeah. they look a little bit better. Um, so I think between USC, Arizona, and UCLA, there's going to be a three-team race for the conference title. And then there's some dark horses. I mean, Utah has looked pretty good this year. Um, I, I think that's a team that not many people are expecting to be very good. Washington State is going to be a tough out. Um, their their coach, Kyle Smith, is really, really good. Um, but I think at the top of the league, it's going to be Arizona, USC, and UCLA. Um, if UCLA finds its footing early enough in conference play, I think they should still win the league. Um, but Arizona, Arizona in particular is going to be a very tough matchup for UCLA.
2: It's interesting to not hear Oregon kind of in the mix of this as well, but I guess just they've goes to show you
3: awful, yeah. absolutely awful. They so they've lost to BYU, Saint Mary's, and Houston by something like uh, an average of twenty points. Um, it's just At been, least they're
2: playing uh, slightly better teams, but yeah, yeah, no, Stuff. it's
3: it's 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 you know, it's some of it's the competition. Those are all like top thirty-five teams, but yeah. Um, it's still, they're they're getting blown out. Um, and that's that's got to be the concern, I think, for Dana Altman. But one thing I will say about Oregon, they always figure it out. A lot of it is yes. because they're trying to And they have Dana Altman. <laughs> yeah, because they're trying to integrate a bunch of transfers. Um, and every year, there's some chemistry work that needs to be done. What I would say is watching that team so far this year, there's a lot more chemistry work that needs to be done than usual. But I wouldn't mm-hmm. doubt Altman's ability to churn out a pretty good team come, you know, end of pack golf play and tournament play.
2: Well, the more I hear you talk about this, too, it's making me wonder, are we going to see something similar in basketball season to what we saw in football, where it's just like good teams taking down, or excuse me, bad teams taking down good teams, or what we think are bad teams, and it just being kind of a scramble or kind of a scrum for that top spot.
3: Yeah, it absolutely could be. And the the interesting thing is, I think last year the Pac-12 was truly underrated going into the NCAA tournament because of some... COVID practice issues and the the league teams not being able to get started. I think this year, maybe it's a little bit overrated to start out with um, because a lot of the teams were, like,
0: culminating
3: last year. McKinley Wright for Colorado was a big piece. Um, ASU was culminating with um, some seniors. Uh, I think those guys being gone, it's kind of a natural – um, walk back for some of those teams, um, so the league is going to be a little bit worse this year, um, and so I don't know if there's going to be the same sort of surge in the NCAA tournament. But it's always the case in this in this conference that you know you go on the road to Washington State or you go on the road to the Arizona schools, um, you go on the road to Stanford, you could absolutely lose that game even if you're really good. Just it's the way these these road trips work in this league are just kind of different from a lot of other leagues.
2: It's tough to say. It's tough to say in this league because you just don't, like you just said, you don't know what's going to happen here. I'm just now trying to look up here kind of where UCLA's fallen in the odds. Um, not up right at this moment at Bat Rivers, but I'm seeing UCLA down to around 18-1 to 1 in some spots. And at one point you were seeing this around 10-1 to 1, uh, with Purdue right by them too. So now obviously Gonzaga and Duke still up there. Uh, is that a ticket you would want to have? Or do you, what would you think about UCLA right now? Do you think they are a title winner possibly still?
3: I think they are possibly. I don't know if at 18-1 to 1 I would take them right now. Because um, the yeah, NCAA tournament the is on. such a crapshoot. Um, mm-hmm. And they haven't displayed that level of dominance. You know, I, I, would, I would take a flyer on Gonzaga or Duke at what are they at right now.
2: Uh, like five to one, you can find you. You can find Gonzaga around five to one, and uh, Duke just behind.
3: Gonzaga. My sense of them, watching them, is that they were better than last year. Now, obviously, they lost to Duke, and then obviously, uh, Tarleton State took them to the wire uh, the other night. Uh, yeah. But uh, they they have the makings of a potentially dominant team with their guard player.
2: But who who has an answer for Chet? Who has I, an answer for that? It's I a mean, seven-foot Duke, freak in Duke a good way. Duke sort
3: of did, but I don't know that Duke <laughs> will have the level of consistency that I think Gonzaga is going to be able to put together. And I think by the end of the year, um, Gonzaga is mm-hmm. going to be a real monster. So, them I would almost take at any odds. Uh, UCLA, I think you'd have to get to I don't know forty or fifty to one before I would put a bet on them right now, just because you don't know sure. if they're going to achieve that level of dominance.
2: Well, March is chaos, and yeah. it's just tough. What they, I think people don't realize how difficult it was for them to go first four to final four like what the actual odds of that were. So I'm completely with you. I already took a ticket on UCLA a while ago. I don't even remember what odds I got on it, Um, but I took it at the start of the season. But, you know, Gonzaga's actually my other, it's my family's team, so I might have to jump in on that. But I had some bets on them last year, and they let me down versus Baylor, so I'm still a little bit burnt on that. But uh, thank you so much, David, for making the time today to come and talk.
3: Yeah, thanks, Danielle.
2: So you can find him again. He's co-host of the BroCast and the pac podcast, writer for Bruin Report online, and again on Twitter at David David Woods. Thank you so much for listening today to the Los Angeles CityCast. New shows three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Please subscribe, follow, tweet at me or David. Let him know how he did. He loves to get into arguments on Twitter. Uh, I'll be back for more fun and games on Friday. So come on back for more of the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet Rivers.
0: Zumo Play.